Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to introduce a new sponsor to the podcast. Hillsdale College has been a longtime sponsor of the broadcast. And for the new year, they've graciously agreed to exclusively sponsor the first hour or segment of the podcast. I believe deeply in the principles and mission of Hillsdale College, which I share with you during the upcoming segment. My thanks and appreciation to Hillsdale College for their long partnership with the show. And now, the podcast. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You know, you all were here, the vast majority of you, last evening when I gave my suggestion on what the president should do, that he should give his State of the Union address from the Senate. I even suggested some of the things that should be in the State of the Union address. I think I spent like 20 minutes on this, didn't I, Mr. Producer? And why it's important. And I think I repeated it later. And I also said, watch for the backbenchers mentioning it. Little did I know, Senator Rand Paul is one of the backbenchers. What amazes me is how brazen these people are. How brazen these people are. Now, the Republicans today apparently blasted one of the first Muslim women ever elected to the United States House of Representatives for her anti-Semitic statements. And apparently blasted Pelosi for elevating freshman representative with a history of anti-Semitic remarks. That's different. I'm glad they listened. That's fine. But anyway, it just shows you and I, I want to reiterate, I know there's talk now, I hear it, that the president should go do a rally. And you have talk show hosts saying he should do a rally because they know that's actively being considered at the White House. I happen to know that for a fact. That's fine. But I think it takes away a lot of the rhetoric the president can use in an effective way. And I don't think... The president and the administration should be so quick to surrender the Capitol building and the control of the Capitol building to Nancy Pelosi and the radical Democrats. The Republicans control the Senate. Then they should act like they control the Senate. And then the president can stand up and say, among other things that I mentioned, here I am. The Capitol building is safe. The Capitol building is secure. And then defend law enforcement, which the left always attacks. I'm not going to do the monologue again that I did yesterday. I'll let Rand Paul do that tonight on Fox somewhere, maybe. The president has also canceled all trips for congressional delegations. They're all on hold, as he should. As he should. Now, you've heard about this letter that came out around 2 o'clock, so today, from the president of the United States. And I read it, and I not only laughed, I cheered. And my daughter sent me a text, and she said, this is why I love Donald Trump. 
And of course, Lindsey Graham, for some reason, is the go-to guy for the media. I don't get it. I really don't. He says uh, both are being sophomoric. No, they're not. President of the United States didn't start this. Nancy Pelosi withdrawing, effectively, her invitation to the President of the United States to give the State of the Union address in the House of Representatives. That's the first time in American history, in the last century, that that's ever been done. Ever. And I guess the Republicans are so used to a president rolling over and just wringing his hands and saying, that's not nice. Mark us at Queensbury rules while they're UFC. That they have trouble comprehending when a president of the United States stands up not just for himself, not just for you, the people who voted for him and support him, but for the Constitution. Now, I'm going to read you the letter. Some of you are driving home and maybe you haven't heard about this. Dear Madam Speaker, due to the shutdown, I'm sorry to inform you that your trip to Brussels, Egypt, and Afghanistan has been postponed. By the way, about 100 of them. And she was leading the the group of uh, uh, congressmen. We will reschedule this seven-day excursion when the shutdown is over. In light of the 800,000 great American workers not receiving pay, I'm sure you would agree that postponing this public relations event is totally appropriate. I also feel that during this period it would be better if you were in Washington negotiating with me and joining this strong border security movement to end the shutdown. Obviously, if you would like to make your journey by flying commercial, that would certainly be your prerogative. I look forward to seeing you soon, and even more forward to watching our open and dangerous southern border finally receive the attention, funding, and security it so desperately deserves. Donald J. Trump, President of the United States. And I see Jimmy Hoffa Jr. of the Teamsters protesting with a group of other Teamster members, I suppose, in front of a Republican retreat in Washington. And I'm thinking to myself, doesn't this kind of explain everything? The answer is yes. He should be protesting in front of Nancy Pelosi's house. Nancy Pelosi has control over the power of the purse. Pelosi does. That's in the Constitution. The House of Representatives, which she controls. She controls what bills, including appropriation bills, come to the floor. So if the federal workers in this country are upset, and most of them are, then you should be focusing on the House of Representatives and Nancy Pelosi. She can stick one sentence in an appropriation bill, along with all the other wasteful spending that they have, and this would be over. She's in charge of the power of the purse. She is. And you should also be angry because Donald Trump has stayed in the White House every single day except when he went to visit our troops overseas. Nancy Pelosi's been in Hawaii. A bunch of them have been in Puerto Rico, having a great time. Here they wanted to take a week off and go to Europe, but of course they were really very serious about our security, don't you know, after slashing the United States military for years under Obama. After fighting every single significant weapon system for the last half century. Now they're concerned about the troops, you see. No, they want to go to Belgium. Egypt, Afghanistan, so forth. And it's really typical, appalling, 
to watch how the media play this and attack the president. How can you attack the president? He's just reacting. But I also think, I think the president should not have a rally in lieu of a State of the Union. I understand that all the public commentators now on TV and radio, that's what they're saying because that's what the White House is thinking. They're trying to get ahead of it and tell you they made a prediction or credit themselves for it. I don't care. I don't think that's the way it ought to roll. It might and fine. The way it ought to roll is the United States Capitol building, ladies and gentlemen, belongs to you. It does not belong to Nancy Pelosi. It doesn't belong to the Democrats. And the president of the United States is going to give a speech to the nation whether Pelosi likes it or not. And he ought to give the speech to the nation from the same building as every other president has used. And do it from the Senate. Explain that it's perfectly safe and secure there. Call her out in a very statesmanlike way and explain what he's having to deal with. If he goes out in the country in Kansas or Wyoming or Montana or whatever it is, it kind of loses its, uh, its environment and its appeal as far as I'm concerned. The American people need to know what's going on, that it's not just another rally of supporters. I understand the populists believe that. I'm telling you. He can do that later, the day after, a week after, whatever it is. No, he should be there. The Supreme Court should be there. The head of all the military branches should be there. All the Republicans should be there. The Democrats who want to be there should be there. Ambassadors should be there if they can fit in there. And the last are the Democrats in the House of Representatives. That's the way I would do it. I wouldn't run out to some city or some town in the Midwest or in the far west or in the southwest, the southeast, the south, and say, look, I'm with the people. No. You're with the people. We know that. Stand your ground. Do not surrender the United States Capitol to Nancy Pelosi. Do not surrender the United States Capitol to Chuck Schumer. Stand there. State of the Union to the United States and the, uh, the American people and the entire world. And Rand Paul, I hope you're writing this down so you can repeat it tomorrow on cable TV. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Have you ever thought about the word education? It means to lead forth. Now let me tell you about a place that leads forth. Hillsdale College. At Hillsdale, students are challenged to discover the right way forth by reading the greatest books by the greatest minds in history. And they learn the meaning of the three ultimate and related things, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Now, unfortunately, many of our nation's other colleges have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. But as we begin a new year, we can be thankful that none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale enters its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. 
These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. This is Hillsdale College. Please visit Hillsdale. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. Let's see if we can get, uh, what was that union, union leader's name I mentioned? Jimmy Hoffa Jr. Let's see if we can get him on the show. He might come on. I don't understand his logic. I'm serious, Rich. Follow up with him. See if he can find him. He's somewhere, he's roaming around in Washington somewhere. I want to know why they're not uh, protesting Nancy Pelosi. Is he not familiar with the Constitution? He's supposed to be a lawyer. Well, then again, you know. There are lawyers and then there are lawyers, aren't there? There are lawyers and then there are ambulances, if you get my drift. And I'm pleased to tell you, although they didn't take formal action, they're just yapping, but still. Here's the headline on the Fox News uh, page. GOP leaders blast Pelosi for elevating freshman rep with history of anti-Israel remarks. Not just history of anti-Israel remarks. Anti-Semitism. A series of top Republicans today condemned the decision by Democratic leaders to elevate Minnesota Democratic Representative Ilhan Omar to the House Foreign Affairs Committee, charging that her history of anti-Israel comments was disqualifying. No, her history of anti-Semitism is disqualifying. The condemnations came as Omar separately fielded wide-ranging criticism, and we'll get to this audio, for posting on Twitter that South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham was compromised. You know, this is the next thing the Democrats are doing. The host on MSLSD, she wasn't punished for what she did. What's her name again? Rule or something? Stephanie Rule, she wasn't punished. She didn't have to walk it back. She didn't have to apologize. You see, they're really interchangeable, the radical Democrats and the radical so-called anchors. Yet Nancy Pelosi promotes her and puts her on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Omar, a Muslim who wrote in 2012 that, quote, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. As strongly opposed, Republican senators push for legislation that will permit local governments to refuse to work with companies that participate in the BDS movement. There is nothing unconstitutional about that. Nothing. Period. Or they can just pass that federal law and see what the courts have to say, which is typically, unfortunately, the way it works even though that's not the way the Constitution is supposed to work. So I wanted to do some mopping up today, and here we have uh, one other thing I want to mop up. This Kevin McCarthy. I don't like this guy. I've never liked this guy. He's not sharp, and he's not that conservative. He'll defend the president, good. And when they're out of power, they always sound very conservative, don't they? But he was the majority leader, under Speaker Ryan, and they blew up the budget. They didn't secure the border. 
This guy was running ad after ad after ad that he supported legislation that would secure the border when it was too late. As majority leader, somebody tell me, what the hell did he do to secure the border? You had the Goodlatte bill, which was a solid bill. He didn't get behind that. Neither did uh, Ryan. So I want you to remember, when these Republicans, when the Kevin McCarthy House Republicans were in charge, they didn't do crap. But here's what they're all about. You want to you wanna know why you send a conservative to Washington. You send a Tea Party person to Washington. What happens? This is under the radar, but it's in the Hill. McCarthy allies retaliate against Freedom Caucus leader. Listen to this. Speaker Nancy Pelosi isn't the only House leader seeking revenge against colleagues who step out of line. GOP leader Kevin McCarthy is now retaliating against a fellow Republican for voting against him in the speaker vote earlier this month. Multiple GOP sources told The Hill that McCarthy and his allies on the Republican Steering Committee, the Republican Steering Committee used to be conservative. And then the rhino moderates in the House said, you know what, we're all going to be members of this committee. And they destroyed it, which is why you have the creation of the Freedom Caucus now. So McCarthy and his allies on the Republican Steering Committee have booted conservative representative Jody Heiss of Republican Georgia off the Armed Services Committee, making good on a vow to retaliate after the Freedom Caucus member dared to vote for Representative Jim Jordan for Speaker. McCarthy. Now, by what right does McCarthy do that? I don't want to hear, well, you know, he is the minority leader. He gets the, uh uh-uh. Jody Heiss represents Americans, too. Jody Heiss is obviously her, uh, Jody Heiss's constituents. Is who Jody Heiss is responsible for. So the vote for Jordan reflects Jody Heiss's view and, likely, the view of the constituents. And McCarthy said, no, I'm king around here. You didn't vote for me. I'm kicking you off of the Armed Services Committee. Removing any member from a committee solely because they voted according to their constituents' wishes is viewed very poorly by the general public. And it's the kind of punishment politics that American people hate, said Freedom Caucus Chairman Mark Meadows. Heiss was one of six Republicans either in the Freedom Caucus or aligned with it who did not vote for McCarthy on the House floor during the Speaker's vote. Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, Heiss, Andy Biggs, Paul Gosar, Scott Perry, all voted for Jordan for Speaker. And because of that, McCarthy wants to punish their constituents. I am sick and damn tired of this. Try and get this clown McCarthy on the program. I know he'll go on cable. I know he'll go on talk shows that he likes. Drag his ass here. Let's see if we can get him on the radio, Mr. Producer. That's number two. Jimmy Hoffa Jr. And then Jimmy Hoffa, Kevin McCarthy. Two tough guys. Let's give it a shot. See if we can get him. I'll be right back. Our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what is beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions. 
Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale enters its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. Hillsdale.edu. A proud fanatic for the Constitution. Call him now at 877-381-3811. One of the great actual reporters we have in this country is John Solomon. I've known John Solomon a very, very long time. Before he was so famous, right, John? Uh, Very long before that. And I'm not sure I'm famous yet. (laughs) No, you are. And uh, you're doing tremendous work. You're staying on this issue. You're dogged. Let me just say, aren't you kind of shocked that there's a handful of you who actually care about this and actually report this? I mean, this to me is like the greatest scandal in modern American history. Yeah, especially if you take Donald Trump out of it and just think any American citizen could be subjected to the abuses that went on here. And that's not the system our founding fathers intended. And, uh, you know, we should be concerned that the court of law and the rule of law is so important. And here we had cheating going on and no one seems to want to blow the whistle on it. Well, you broke a remarkable story uh, that I think is crucially important about a gentleman by the name of Orr, who was right. Associate Deputy Attorney General of the United States. I was that right. once. That means that's a person who serves under the Deputy Attorney General of the United States. At that point, it was right. Sally Yates, an Obama holdover. Right. And he is the husband of, of, a, of an individual who works for Fusion GPS. That's right. Now you are. Take it from there. Okay, so it is the summer of 2016. Hillary Clinton and Bill, uh, Donald Trump are now the nominees. Hillary has just been cleared by James Comey, quote-unquote cleared in the email case. And uh, all of a sudden, this information starts walking in from all these different directions to the FBI that Donald Trump has a We, we have a lousy connection. Can we oh, call I'm you sorry. back and work on that? Yeah, I'm so sorry. Don't, that's all right. You hang up, Mr. Producer. Call him back. Let's get a better connection. This is too important, ladies and gentlemen, not to hear John uh, clearly. So we're talking about this isn't in the weeds. This is in your face stuff. This is an official at the Department of Justice at the highest level whose wife works for Fusion GPS. And his name is Bruce Orr and his wife's name is Millie Orr. And, you know, Fusion GPS is this organization, this opposition research firm that received money from Hillary Clinton's campaign in the DNC was washed through a Washington law firm and this lawyer, Mark Elias. And uh, what's very important here is it relates to the dossier. Do we have him yet? Are we having a problem getting him? Okay, well, I'll tell you the story and then he can uh, underscore what's taking place. 
So you have a senior Department of Justice official, as Molly Hemingway uh, relays via the Solomon piece, says he repeatedly and officially told top officials at the FBI and the Department of Justice, so this is Orr who said this, about dossier author Christopher Steele's bias, his bias, and his employer Fusion GPS's conflict of interest. Information they concealed from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court judge and subsequent judges. Now, in my practice of law, you do that with a federal judge, and these are federal judges. You can be held in contempt and you can lose your law license. Now, these conversations involved high-level officials, including some who are now senior officials in the special counsel's office. And the conversations began taking place in the earliest days of August 2016, much earlier than previously revealed to congressional investigators seeking to learn the facts about the FBI's decision to spy on the Trump campaign. By the way, if you get him, just interrupt me, Rich. So testimony from Bruce Orr. He was the associate attorney general. He's been moved since then. Informs, as Molly writes, a years-long partisan debate about the role he played in funneling information to the FBI from the terminated source. So Orr, whose wife worked for the very same information operation that Steele did, had shared critical information about the source that did not appear in the applications to spy on Carter Page. So we have uh, John Solomon back. Are you there, John? I am, uh, Mark. I'm so sorry for that. It's okay. Let's, let's, you pick it up from where I left off. Go ahead. Okay. So in the summer, in the summer of uh, uh, 2016, as the, the nominees are now clear and Hillary Clinton wants to change the dialogue from her Russia problems to Donald Trump's alleged Russia problems, uh, a guy walks in named Bruce Orr, and he walks into the FBI on July 31st, reaches out to the deputy attorney general. You know how rare this is, Mark, because you worked in the Justice Department. It is very rare for a justice official to walk over to the FBI and try to provide information. So it's a very rare moment. And he walks in, and he, he tells the FBI, uh, starting with Andrew McCabe and then many other officials, I, uh, my wife works at a firm. There's this guy, Christopher Steele, I've known a long time, British intelligence agent. And he has some dirt on Donald Trump, suggesting that Donald Trump has a Russia problem that he might be compromised by Russia. And um, and so I think you guys might want to investigate it, but I want to be clear with you. It's connected to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Steele and my wife's firm are working for Hillary Clinton's campaign. Uh, this guy, Steele, has a bias against Donald Trump. He, uh, he, wants, he said to me he wants to do anything to defeat him as president. And uh, just to put one more thing on the table, I've heard some of the evidence, and it's sort of raw intelligence, and you're going to have to corroborate it independently. So he walks it in, gets the dirt inside the FBI, gets an investigation going, but he also... So let, let me slow you down. So he wants to trigger this investigation, but he gives right. all these explanations to cover his butt about the partisanship involved. That's right, which becomes so important to the FISA warrant, because two months later, the FBI issues a FISA warrant against Carter Page. And as you know, the FISA law is pretty clear, and the FISA procedures are clear. You have to tell the court everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the FBI went out of its way to avoid telling uh, the court that this was a Hillary Clinton paid product. It went out of its way to raise any concerns about derogatory information about Steele. And uh, it, it basically said, we really don't know who he's working for. We suspect they may have a motive. 
but we don't really know who he's working for. That was not true. Bruce Orr told them uh, that Christopher Steele and Fusion GPS were working for Hillary Clinton's campaign. And there was derogatory information about Christopher Steele. He had a motive, a vendetta against Donald Trump. That wasn't disclosed. And uh, as you know, you're only allowed to submit verified information to the court to get a warrant. And in this case, Bruce Orr was telling him, you're going to have to go verify this because I'm not sure it's anything but raw hearsay source material. And uh, and none of that happens. And that tells you where the cheating is. Well, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Sure. Go ahead. Among those at the FBI who were briefed are people who now work for or with the special counsel's office. Is that correct? There's two people. That's correct. There was a lawyer who was a Loretta Lynch's top attorney who's now with Mueller. And then there's Andrew Weissman, who is Mueller's deputy top deputy in the special counsel's office. At that, at that time, they were both working in the Justice Department. Hold on now. At that time, they were both what? At the Justice Department. Yeah. They weren't even at the FBI. So, mm-hmm. Or not only briefs the FBI, he starts briefing some of his colleagues in the Justice Department. It's a very rare thing. You worked in the Justice Department. I, I never, in all the years I worked at the Justice Department, never walked over to the FBI once. Yeah. no. It, now, and I was chief of staff to the Attorney General. I never walked yeah. over there once. That tells you all. That tells you, listen, is all you need to tell. This is a very rare, unusual action, and and it triggers a series of more rare and I think, in, in the end of the day, illegal or improper actions by the FBI. Okay, couple things here. Andrew Weissman has a history of being a sleazeball. My phrase. He's been admonished by courts. He's done enormous damage to uh, to the, his targets. Why in the world would Mueller select him? other than his familiarity with him when he was an FBI director, to be his number one lieutenant in investigating the president of the United States? It's a question that ultimately Bob Mueller should answer, not I. I can, I can give you some conjecture. They worked together. Uh, uh, Andrew Weissman was Mueller's uh, general counsel for a while at the FBI, so I'm sure they had a trust relationship. I think the other thing about Weissman is early on in this investigation, he's sort of like a Forrest Gump figure, right? In, this is, starts out as a counterintelligence investigation. There's no reason for the fraud section chief, Andrew Weissman, to be, be briefed in August about a counterintelligence investigation. And a few months later, if you remember, there was a story about Andrew Weissman meeting with AP reporters yes. trying to get information dirt on uh, Paul Manafort. Mm-hmm. At that time, again, he had nothing to do with the case. And uh, he sort of has this forced up entry point a couple times, and then all of a sudden he's invited in over to Bob Mueller's staff. Do, do you do you think? Do you think he tried to? Well, I'll say this: I think he tried to insinuate himself into this case. He it's had a real funny. hate on for Trump. He was at the Hillary Clinton victory party. He sends a text to uh, Sally Yates uh, when she's refusing to represent the president of the United States in a matter where the president actually eventually won at the Supreme Court. And she also uh, puts up this phony pretext about the Logan Act in order to target uh, retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. This guy, Weissman, what's he doing in a special counsel's office? I mean, he obviously has animus all over the place. I think a very important thing to get, a set of documents I've been trying to get my hands on, are Andrew Weissman's text messages and emails in this early foundational period of the investigation. I think that they will be very eye-opening why was he insinuating himself into the AP meeting? Why was he insinuating himself into the Bruce Orr briefings with the FBI? And I think if we get an answer to that, we may learn a lot more about who. Well, this may have been a team effort, a, a group of people all working together. And uh, I think that's a big part of the missing uh, uh, the missing people for the puzzle. 
I don't want to write those text messages and emails like they show them. I think it could be really instructive to the public. Problem is, how do we get them? The, the Senate Intelligence Committee seems absolutely AWOL under Richard yeah. Burrs. He's, he's, he, he, it seems like that committee was taken over by Mark Warner. Nothing comes out of it that I'm aware of. Uh, the rest of the media are the Praetorian Guard media, as I've been calling them for a decade. Uh, they're really not interested, for the, for the most part, in even reporting on what's, what you and others have actually discovered. And so it, it becomes difficult. The only thing I can think of is at some point when this is all said and done, uh, maybe uh, they will have to become part of the uh, of the federal documents. But really, the incoming Attorney General Barr, he can look at these things if he wants to. But certainly, but the media and the Democrats, John Solomon, but they've they've created a situation where you're not even allowed. That's the only government office or entity where you're not actually allowed to investigate or ask any questions about. Yeah, it's a real problem, and it, it deserves the public. Listen, you know you work there. It's important to have strong oversight of the Justice Department. It has awesome powers. It has great people that do great work. But uh, if there are even the slightest hint of abuses in the past, the tendency has always been let's investigate and solve and fix. And in this case, it's been let's ignore and deflect and not, and not, uh, not look and drill down what happened here. I think there's one other option that we should discuss. All right, hold on. We're, we're, we're losing you a little. There's one other option we should discuss, you said. Let's give it a try. What's that? <laughs> All right, can you hear me now? Yeah, what, what was that? Uh, and that is we have a new Senate Gen- Judiciary Committee chairman, Lindsey Graham, who has subpoena authority. He should go and try to get the records that are missing in this narrative and help us complete the picture. He has that ability. He has that oversight responsibility. And uh, I think that he could fill in a lot of these open-ended questions that we don't ha- have answers to. But if someone has to finish the oversight ability here so that we know what went wrong with this FISA warrant and who is responsible and who should be held accountable. It's amazing that Andrew Weissman, when you dig hard, his name keeps coming up. Yeah, his name just it. keeps popping. And this is a hitman, this guy. Well, he, All right. he certainly is a key player in this narrative. There's no doubt about that, Mark. All right, John Solomon, thanks for your help. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. You too. I'm sorry about the connection here and there, ladies and gentlemen, but I hope uh, we filled in the gaps. This is a very, very important. I know there's a lot of things swirling around out there, and I know that the rest of the media could care less. MSLSD, the Constipated News Network, the New York Slimes, the Washington Compost, the whole bunch of them. But this is really, really remarkable. And if we had a functioning press and a functioning Senate Republican Party, we would get to the bottom of this. But we don't. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. One hundred and seventy-five years. That's how long Hillsdale College has been around. As we start a new year, Hillsdale's entering its hundred and seventy-fifth year, but in all of that time it still holds the same principles since eighteen forty-four. The college was founded to teach students to seek truth, to recognize what is beautiful and to hold up what is good. Most colleges have lost their way and are now in the grip of political correctness. They reject the idea of objective truth and peddle moral and cultural relativism. Not Hillsdale College. Hillsdale continues to provide sound learning essential to preserving civil and religious liberty. Hillsdale is my favorite college because it has stayed true to that mission and extends it nationwide on behalf of liberty. From its free online courses to its free speech digest and primus, from training leaders at their Kirby Center in Washington, D.C., to helping establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, 
Hillsdale is educating Americans to restore our freedom. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. This is Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. Jimmy Hoffa Jr. Kevin McCarthy. Jeez, bottom of the barrel. All right. Now, here's a question I have with respect to all this Russian stuff. Why won't someone in the press, even the conservative press, stake out one of these FISA judges' courtrooms and ask him or ask her why they're not conducting contempt hearings or at least evidentiary hearings to see what happened? Otherwise, they're complicit. With all this information coming out, They're complicit. Someone has to hold these judges to account as well. They approved these FISA applications. They approved the first one, and then they renewed it three different times. They are aware of what's in the public sphere, the information John Solomon now has reported and so forth. They know. They know. They know what happened in their courtrooms. They know they were misled. And what typically would happen in a federal courtroom with a federal judge who was misled and then issued a warrant based on being misled is that they would yank those public officials into their courtroom. They would hold a hearing to find out exactly what took place and hold them to account. That has not been done here. Which is one of the reasons many months ago I said we must abolish the FISA system and come up with something else. Because these judges have demonstrated that they are not an effective check and balance on a rogue FBI at the senior levels or a rogue Department of Justice at the senior levels. They're not. They let down the country. Jim Comey wants you to believe he didn't know anything. He didn't know any of this. Nobody told him anything. Jim Comey is a pathological liar. McCabe, Baker, Stroke, Page, probably others we don't, we don't even know about. One of the people briefed about this, Andrew Weissman, that they couldn't rely on the dossier, that it was a political process, now is the number one lieutenant in the special counsel's office under Mueller. Boy, it's corrupt through and through. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, my idea of having the State of the Union as Senate has definitely caught on on Fox. We have now hosts and guests who are supporting it or debating whether there should be a rally. I think a rally is a mistake. I've explained why. Uh, the President of the United States should not surrender 
the State of the Union speech in the Capitol building to Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. They only have the House. They don't have the Senate. There's nothing that says it has to be delivered in the House of Representatives that has been done to really accommodate the members of the House and Senate because it's a bigger forum than the Senate, which chamber's much smaller. And uh, I think the way it ought to be filled is uh, the senators who want to attend and then the House Republicans and then the military leaders in the Supreme Court and then whoever else can be crammed in there and in the galleries. That's it. And if there are more who want to watch, it's like going to a Mark Levin book event at the Reagan Library. We'll have some seats in an ante room. We'll have a big screen, and that's where Pelosi can watch or not. She can watch on TV at home. I know people are talking about a rally. I don't think that's good advice from talk radio hosts, from TV hosts, because I just saw it again on Fox. I really don't think that's good advice. A rally, really, it's the State of the Union address. The Capitol building should not be conceded to Nancy Pelosi. So I'm encouraging you to tell your neighbors, your friends, your members of Congress to suggest that we have this State of the Union address in the Senate, not in some auditorium in uh, Timbuktu, in the Senate, and we not surrender the Capitol building. And Nancy Pelosi said it was a security risk. She never talked to the Secret Service. She never talked to DHS. She never talked to the Capitol Police. She just said it. Now, she's been told the border is a security risk right now by experts, by people who actually work there, and she ignores them. I don't believe those facts. I don't believe those facts. Now, folks, I also want to raise another point with you. If you are a reporter and you hate the President of the United States so thoroughly and completely, you should at least have the professional ethics to take yourself off that beat. Your boss, who can see through your own reporting that you so hate the subject of your reporting that you simply can't be a real newsman, should take you off that beat. Conversely, if you love the president so much and you're a reporter, you should be taken off that beat, too. Like 98% of the reporters who were reporting on Barack Melhouse Benito Obama. But let's go to the first example first. Is there really any question that Jim Acosta hates Donald Trump? Is there any doubt that the executives at CNN know that Jim Acosta hate Donald Trump? Is there any doubt that everybody in the so-called newsroom at CNN know that Jim Acosta, as well as the rest of them, but Jim Acosta, the White House is his beat, know that Jim Acosta hates the president? Is there any doubt? Of course not. So here's Jim Acosta on CNN today. Hat tip, newsbusters, cut three, go. Well, our nation's capital has officially become a playground, uh, Brooke. Uh, the, the president has responded uh, in sort of a childish way, is the only way to describe it, uh, to the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, to her letter, essentially saying that the State of the Union will be postponed or uh, she asked that it be submitted in writing if the government is still shut down. He is a, uh, a, a snob. He is a blithering idiot. He's a leftist. He's not a reporter. 
He's not a reporter. He doesn't even show um, even-handedness in, in this phrase about the childish way. The President of the United States is reacting to an act by the Speaker of the House, an act that has never, ever happened before in American history, not since presidents have been speeches from the Capitol building. And the president, you see, is responding in sort of a childish way. What you have mostly in the viewers of CNN are cultists. Cultists. Cultists can love somebody. Cultists can hate somebody. They were cultists for Obama and cultists against Trump. CNN has made a business decision, not a journalistic decision, not a news decision. It has made a business decision that its ratings are so bad it wants to focus on a small niche within the American population. I'm telling you the truth. Well, my ratings on Sunday are higher than their primetime shows, and I'm on Sunday at 10 p.m. Eastern. That is a failed cable network. And mine is a highly successful Sunday night show. So CNN has made a business decision with Zucker, I think, is at the head of it, who's a leftist out of NBC. And the owners of CNN have made a decision, Time Warner. We're not going to do news. We'll claim we're doing news. We'll continue to be partisan, although we'll claim to be objective. And the way we'll do this is call the president a liar, and we have to hold him to account that it is we who stand for freedom of the press, when in fact we will use the imprimatur of freedom of the press to attack this president. But when you assign somebody to the White House who has a real hate on for the president of the United States, that's not news, ladies and gentlemen. That's propaganda. Now, we've invited Jim Acosta on this program how many times? Several times, right, Mr. Producer? Nothing. They don't even respond. So much for freedom of the press. He doesn't want to be held to account. He doesn't want to be questioned. I, do, I would do so in a very respectful way, unlike him and the way he treats the president. But I would. And I'd want to explore this with him. But he doesn't want to explore this with me. You've got a conga line of like-minded Trump haters day in and day out, who pretend to be news anchors or newsmen or women, hosts. You can also see by the nature of the people they invite, overwhelmingly Trump haters and very angry Trump haters. Like this Anna Navarro, what a nut job she is. Low IQ, I might add. When you have a host like Sour Lemon, a.k.a. Don Lemon, who day in and day out accuses 63 million people or some large percentage of the Trump voters of being racists or supporting a racist. You know that that guy's not a newsman and that's not a news network. When you look at Fox, you have a prime timeline up that is not news. Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Laura Ingram. They don't pretend to be journalists, but they do act as intelligent analysts. That's not a journalist, but they're intelligent analysts. They look at the information, they look at the facts, and they give their opinion, of course, based on where they're coming from. Nobody pretends otherwise. 
Fox and Friends. That's not really a news operation either, a news show, even though they have news segments. So they give their opinion. No problem. But Jim Acosta is a newsman. Jake Tapper is a newsman. These are supposed to be news programs. And you can't tell the difference. That's the problem. So my next question is, in addition to my question is, how can you allow a man with such seething hate for the President of the United States to be your White House correspondent? My next question is, what is CNN's business plan once the President leaves? What is their business plan? Because they have now built a business model on hating Trump. Day in and day out. They've built a business model that they are going to be the mouthpiece for the DNC. Every damn one of them over there. Every one of them. Wolf Blitzer, Jake Tapper, and so forth. What is their business model? They have none. So I, I suggest to you that once President Trump leaves, CNN is going to go away. Or it's going to shrivel up into something smaller. But it isn't going to be what it is, which is small enough. There are over 300 million people in this country. Not all of them, obviously, are adults. But over 300 million people. The networks are watched every night by about 23 million people. The biggest show on Fox get typically three, three and a half million. CNN, they don't even get a million. Their morning show gets two or three hundred thousand, despite the fact that's quoted all the time. In other words, they're not even a pimple on a pimple on an elephant's butt. They're not even a footnote to a footnote of news. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. The Democrat Party and the media keep putting forward three of the dumbest human beings I've ever heard. And they have a lot of dumb people. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And like a chorus now, conservatives in broadcasting are telling, don't underestimate her, don't underestimate her. How can you underestimate her? Her IQ is through the floor. Well, look how popular she is. No, she's being made popular by the media. It's not a matter of underestimating her. Stop promoting her. Then we have Ilian Omar, Minneapolis, St. Paul. One of two women who happen to be Muslim who were elected to Congress, I'll have you know. Now, let me talk about two of them. And that is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. In, uh, she's on the floor of the House today. And here's what she had to say. Cut seven, go. And the truth of this shutdown is that it's actually not about a wall, it is not about the border, and it is certainly not about the well-being of everyday Americans. The truth is, this shutdown is about the erosion of American democracy and the subversion of our most basic governmental norms. Now let's, let's stop a minute. She was elected in a very left-wing district in and around New York City. 
and she has absolutely no serious experience. I don't know if she's read a book. I don't know if a book's been read to her. But when you are lectured by a democratic socialist who's 29 years old and sounds as dumb as a doorknob telling you about the erosion of American democracy, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? The erosion of American democracy is evidenced in the fact that she's in the House of Representatives. Now, democratic socialists and their ilk reject American republicanism. Reject the American Constitution. They're constantly ripping at the fabric of this civil society. So when they lecture you and me, the hardworking citizens of this country who pay their salaries and pay everybody's welfare checks and food stamps, the salaries of government workers, their pensions, their health care benefits, and pay the politicians and all the rest. Well, we pay for everybody. We don't need to hear about the erosion of American democracy from her, one of the leftists, who's eroding it. Go ahead. It is not normal to hold 800,000 workers' paychecks hostage. Who is holding them hostage? I'll say this again, and I say this knowing full well that in certain markets it's very unhelpful to me, but I do what I do because I believe in this country. I, I believe in trying to do the right thing and saying the right thing. We have hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people over the course of the last 10 years who've lost their jobs or have had to take different jobs or lost their businesses and so forth. We had an administration in the Obama administration that tried to destroy the coal mines and all the coal workers. They tried to destroy the oil companies and all the oil workers running around with battery-operated socks and uh, caps and so forth. They put people out of work all the time, I've said this, by lurching the economy one way or the other with some regulation, some crackpot idea, it doesn't matter. I have never heard the Democrats talk about the hundreds of thousands, even the millions of people who lost their jobs as a result of government policy, government regulations, left-wing ideologies, never. Because for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the Democrat Party, a government job is more important than a private sector job. Even though without the private sector, there is no government job. So we go on and on and hear about the government workers, every one of whom will get reimbursed for not working. It's an inconvenience. But you're not out of work. Notice you're furloughed, but you didn't get a pink slip. As I speak, there are people in the private sector who get a pink slip. The safest job in the world is a government job. The government will shut down here and there, rarely. But it'll always be there, at least until the uh, debt explodes. People retire after 20 years, 25 years. They get pensions for life. They're not on our health care system. They have a different health care system. And they don't even have to belong to Social Security. Members of Congress don't have to belong to Social Security. And so I'm this 
lone voice, and I know it's dangerous when you're relying on ratings and these other things, to say, I'm tired of this. I'm really sick and tired of this. It's not that I don't have a heart for people who are struggling. Of course I do. But my problem is that the tens of millions of people who work and live in the private sector, far more than who work in government, are treated as second-class citizens. This whole border uh, argument, again, the American citizen is treated as a second-class citizen. It doesn't matter what we want. It only matters what the person trying to get into this country illegally wants. That's the whole focus. The focus isn't on the consequences to American families, to local school districts, to hospitals, to local law enforcement, to jobs for individuals who are low-skilled on the lower end of the ladder, jobs affected in restaurants, jobs affected in home building, jobs affected across the board. She claims to be a democratic socialist. She's not for the people. She's for government. She's for reorganizing wealth. So the point I'm making is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and people like her, these are lightweights. These are truly stupid people. And the fact that they managed to get elected from a hardcore Democrat district that turned more and more Latino and they threw out a big fat slob white guy who had his head so far up Pelosi's uh, nose, that's like supposed to be a historic event. It's not a historic event. I'll be right back. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. America's Constitutional Convention, The Mark Levin Show. Call in now, 877-381-3811. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have a, uh, a story for you, which is, and by the way, I want you to know something. You may not know this. When you have a government shutdown and you have a federal job, do you know the contributions to the pension are considered to continue to accrue. And it's not deducted during the shutdown. So there are things that happen when you have a government job that simply don't happen in the private sector. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of 
of solace in knowing that when you eventually do come back, and you eventually will, that all that back pay is going to be paid. You're going to have your job. Your pension's fine. Your, your benefits are fine. That doesn't happen in the private sector. So many of us in the private sector keep hearing these stories, hearing these stories, hearing these stories. That's why we're not rushing out into the streets and protesting. Okay, well, so be it. All right, I want to tell you an incredible story. This is ve- it, it, it actually happened. Uh, it was told to me by a friend who was right there about Jim Acosta today. There was a gathering of radio hosts at the White House. I had wanted to go, but I couldn't figure out how to get there because of my, uh, my TV schedule for Levin TV and Fox, as well as my radio schedule. So it's very hard for me to get away. It's all day long where I'm working on my, my various jobs. So Jim Acosta is there, and he sees the radio hosts in the briefing room waiting to meet the president. Listen, in front of dozens of people, he saw Sebastian Gorka, who's a great guy. And Sebastian Gorka has a new radio show with Salem. And Acosta says to Sebastian Gorka, and I quote, What are you doing in here? This place is for real journalists. You're a flack. You hear that, Mr. Producer? What are you doing in here? This place is for real journalists, and you're a flack. Now, I can't repeat what Gorka said to him, but Gorka said to him what I would have said to him. It was completely and totally unprovoked. Dozens of people heard it. Gorka was sitting in a chair, minding his own business. And Acosta literally accosted him. Totally brazen, totally unprovoked, witnessed by dozens of people. It's disgusting. This guy is such a coward, he will not come on this program to face the music. He is not a journalist. He's not a newsman. That's why when that federal judge in Washington, D.C. did what he did, and it's not over yet, he was a disgrace to. He was a disgrace to. But Jim Acosta is a POS, may I say. You know what that is, right, Mr. Producer? He's a POS. I think we call him Jim POS Acosta. So when you hate a president as much as you hate this president, in the case of Jim P.O.S. Acosta, you shouldn't be there reporting. And by the way, you are a flack, and you are a hack. Representative Ilhan Omar, she was on the floor of the House today, too. You may not know this, she's one of two first women Muslims elected to the House. This is historic. This is what they tell us. It's historic. Let me tell you what's happening. We have these enclaves now outside of Detroit and in Minneapolis, St. Paul, where uh, people are settling here, many from the Middle East, many of whom are Arab, many of whom are Muslim. And that's how you have the election of a Keith Ellison and Ilian Omar and so forth. So it's not that extraordinary 
when you're a becoming a further and further balkanized country with our immigration system. And that's exactly what's happening. And you can see only one party benefits from this. The country doesn't benefit from it, but only one party benefits from this. And here she is today. Cut eight. Go. I join the similar calls made by my colleagues today, and I demand that the president end his temper tantrums and quest for a racist and xenophobic wall. Let's stop. I want to educate her and the other leftists. A wall cannot be racist and sinful. Why are you leftists so stupid? Now, you can be racist and sinful, sinful, and some of you are. But let's do this together, you folks on the left. Let's pick up a pen or a pencil. See the pen or pencil? Let's pretend it's a wall. It's an inanimate object. You're holding an inanimate object. It's not racist. It's not sinful. Now, I know you see racism everywhere. Not your own. Not your own bigotry and anti-Semitism. Of course, you don't see any of that. And of course, anybody who disagrees with you and your radical kook agenda, there must be racists. They must be against people of color, even if they are people of color. But a wall cannot be racist and sinful any more than your pen or pencil can or your shoe or even more. A dog, a cat. Go ahead. I demand that he work with us to reopen the government. Ah, shut up, you idiot. You don't get to demand anything. They demand the president work with them. He's the one sitting in the White House waiting for them. There they were, all dressed up, got new haircuts and hairdos, all ready to go overseas for another junket. For America and the troops, of course. And they hate both. After they've been to Puerto Rico, all they do is travel all the time. Travel and trash the President of the United States. Travel, travel, trash the President of the United States. Now we have Christiane Amanpour. She's another jerk. And she's over at PBS, the Pubic Broadcasting Service. You don't like the way I talk? I talk the way they talk to them. In fact, I'm more restrained than they are. And they say I'm the most incendiary broadcaster in America. No, I'm not. I call it like it is. So anyway, uh, she tries to rehabilitate this Ilhan Omar's reputation because she's been saying highly anti-Semitic things. She'd like to see Israel wiped from the face of the earth. But don't worry, she's one of two first Muslim women ever elected to the House of Representatives. That's all you need to care about. And so, Christiane Amanpour, another Israel hater in my humble opinion, she, uh, she brings Representative Ilhan Amor onto the public airways, PBS, which you also subsidize, which means you also pay this woman's salary in part. And here's how that goes. Cut nine. Can I just move on to something that's generally sort of a rite of passage for politicians in the United States? And that is to sort of profess sort of fealty or at least pay homage to APAC. Now listen uh, to this. Talk about a bigot. 
that it's a rite of passage. You must pay homage or fealty to APEC. I can't even stand APEC. I like ZOA and Emmett. Real organizations, not APEC, not the Quislings in APEC. Excuse me. But listen to her. She doesn't say care, care. Politicians have to profess sort of fealty or homage to care if you're a liberal Democrat. She's another one. So it's, it's widespread in the media, widespread in the Democrat Party, widespread on the left. Go ahead. Israel uh, uh, pack that is very, very prominent. Um, should Jewish Americans be worried about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar or Rashida Tlaib because of the BDS movement, because of one of the tweets you made a long time ago? You know, you're part of a new wave of Democrats, not afraid to be critical of the government of Israel. Well, why don't you put your stupid words in her mouth? Why don't you ask the question? Jim Acosta, there's your fake. Part of a new wave of Democrats not afraid to be critical of the government of Israel. Nobody's talking about being afraid to be critical of our government, the government of Israel. We're talking about anti-Semitism. And so Christian Ampour tries to give cover to this congresswoman. Go ahead. And during the 2012 military offensive in Gaza, you tweeted, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. How do you put that into context now? And what do you say to American Jews? How do you put that in the context? Notice she doesn't condemn her. Notice she doesn't bring up all the facts. She doesn't do anything. This is a love fest. Go ahead. So I remember when when that was happening, um, watching TV and really feeling as if um, no other life was being impacted in in this war. Uh, And that really, those unfortunate words were the only words I could think about um, expressing. Why why couldn't you think about terrorism? Uh, This PBS anchor, Amanpour, why didn't she mention... Hamas, she doesn't use Hamas. She talks about the military offensive in Gaza. You know, the Jews putting down uh, the Palestinians in Gaza. She doesn't talk about Hamas. She doesn't talk about Hamas as a terrorist organization given birth by the Muslim Brotherhood. None of that. She doesn't talk about Hamas tortures and kills its own people. Women and children first when it fights wars. When it triggers wars. So the people watching PBS are as dumb as the people who read the New York Times. They don't know anything. Go ahead. And what is really important to me is that people recognize that there is a difference between criticizing a military action um, by a government that that has exercised um, really oppressive uh, policies and being... Um, offensive or or attacky to uh, particular people of, of faith. See, this is the new spin. Look, look, look. You're attacking me because I don't support uh, what the government of Israel does in these battles here. I love the Jewish people. You don't know me. I love the Jewish people. This is considered balanced? 
No discussion of Hamas, no discussion that Hamas is a terrorist organization recognized as such, not just by us, by the Europeans. No discussion about how they had one election, I think it was 2006 or seven, and none since. The repression there, the treatment of women there, the, uh, the serial executions that take place there, how they treat their own people. Even the Palestinian Authority, by the other terrorist, Abbas, criticizes Hamas. Cut 10, go. So just to have you on the record and to get you to say exactly what you, what you mean. Now so stop. Say- so now she's going to say for her exactly what she means. Go ahead. Holding a government like Israel accountable, even criticizing government policy, is not anti-Semitic. Nobody said it was, and that's not the issue. It's never been the issue. The issue is she's a bigot and an anti-Semite, and you did a hell of a good job of covering for her and a hell of a lousy job of getting to the truth. And what was Omar's response? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Oh, wow. How do you like that? You know, I don't know about you, but watching the news and fighting the onslaught of fake news like that takes up a lot of mental and physical energy. It's exhausting. stressful. You need to stay sharp, and it starts by eating right. Now, if getting healthy was one of your resolutions, I have an easy, effective way, and it only takes a minute out of your day. Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. This beats trying to eat enough fruits and vegetables by a mile. Field of Greens is a real superfood, not like the fake health powders made up of extracts. This is real food, and the difference can be seen right on the bottle, on the label. It has a nutrition facts panel, not supplement facts. One scoop of Field of Greens has all full serving of real USDA organic fruits and vegetables, complete with antioxidants. One scoop of this daily will power you with clean, real energy that fuels a healthier and happier lifestyle. By the way, it tastes quite good. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, and use promo code LEVIN. Lots of Levins in there. BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, promo code LEVIN. Take advantage of a limited time offer, 15% off your first order with the promo code LEVIN. Again, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, promo code LEVIN. We love it. I want you to give it a try. See what you think. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. One thing I look forward to every day is sitting in my X chair. If you own one, you understand what I'm talking about. The X chair gives you something to be happy about, even on the darkest winter day. And I sit in this chair maybe 10 hours a day. I don't even realize I'm sitting. I used to constantly feel uncomfortable because I was spending thousands of hours sitting in the wrong chair. When I finally ditched that no-name superstore chair and traded up to the X chair, my world completely changed given the fact that I'm attached to my chair so long every day, as I say. Here's great news for anyone thinking about getting an X chair. Now you can finance the purchase of your X chair for as little as $30 a month. So there's nothing stopping you. Seriously, for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee, you can make 2019 your most comfortable and productive year ever by getting yourself an X chair. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairlevin.com. That's xchairlevin.com or give them a call. one 844 
844-4X-CHAIR. 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X-CHAIR comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. You literally have no risk. So go to xchairlevin.com now. And by the way, if you use code Levin Footrest, you'll get a free footrest too. xchairlevin.com. How much time do I have, Rich? All right, so I'll start this anyway. Congressional Budget Office employees, this is typical of other federal employees and other federal agencies. And they have a page on there trying to entice people to join them. When you've been ranked as one of the best places to work in the federal government, you know you're doing a lot of things right, they say. Then they start with the benefits, health care benefits. The employees participate in the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program, which offers a range of options of health care coverage. Now, what is the range? Well, you can choose from uh, individual or a family coverage from a variety of HMOs, PPOs, and fee-for-service plans. Prices vary depending on the coverage you choose, but CBO generally pays about 70% of the total cost of coverage. Do you have that, Mr. Producer? I don't have that. Dental and vision benefits. I don't even have any dental benefits. Employees are eligible to participate in the Federal Employees Dental and Vision Insurance Program, which offers pre-tax dental and vision benefits. What else? Flexible spending accounts. Participating employees can save on a pre-tax basis for covered medical and dependent care expenses. Retirement. The Federal Employees Retirement System provides a monthly retirement annuity based on employers' employees' age, years of federal service, and highest three consecutive years of salary. Do any of you have that in the private sector? Nobody has that anymore in the private sector. Thrift savings plan. Employees can contribute to the before-tax or after-tax Roth thrift savings. So you have a federal retirement plan, an annuity-based plan, and a thrift savings plan. Uh, Annual sick leave. You can cruise six hours of annual leave each pay period. Those were previous federal service at a higher level. Holidays, there's 10 federal holidays, life insurance, long-term care insurance. I'm telling you. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. 
So Jim Acosta's had quite a day today, hasn't he? The Atlantic, is it even a magazine anymore? I don't know. It's definitely a website, has called for Trump's impeachment. Now, I wouldn't have known this, but for the fact it received some uh, great deal of attention on the Drudge Report uh, with a photo of their cover. I don't know what that's all about. Who cares if the Atlantic calls for Trump's impeachment as a left-wing magazine that hates Trump for the most part? And uh, the Hill newspaper wrote it up. So here we have again a, a magazine, a website that I guess claims to be newsworthy, calling for the president's impeachment because it wants to create a, 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 a juggernaut for his impeachment. See, the Atlantic even calls for his impeachment. So the new issue of the Atlantic, this is from the Hill, linked on Drudge Report. And so why do we even care? I mean, I'm only bringing it up because it's starting to show up all over the place. Features a striking call for President Trump's, uh, let's see, uh, impeachment. The cover story, the March issue, was published online Thursday, along with an image of the magazine, which reads, Impeach, in large red letters. It's time for Congress to judge the president's fitness to serve, the Sudhead says. Atlantic senior editor Yanni Applebaum pens the cover story, in which he argues that Congress can rein in a president who is undermining American ideals, but starting the impeachment process, taking control of the fitness for office debate. To start the impeachment process to debate the fitness for office debate. No, that's not the way it's supposed to work, or virtually every president would have impeached by the opposition party. It's high crimes and misdemeanors, among other things. And we have a good sense of what the framers of the Constitution meant. And there's been excellent scholarship on the subject. Congressional Democrats have so far largely quashed calls for impeachment, saying the move would be premature and viewed as a partisan overreach. They have every intention of using whatever Mueller writes as an impeachment uh, hammer against the President of the United States, unless they calculate the politics at the time uh, is, uh, is not very helpful in that respect. If there's to be grounds for impeachment of President Trump, and I'm not seeking those grounds, he says, yeah, right, that would have to be so clearly bipartisan in terms of acceptance of it before I think we should go down any impeachment, uh, said earlier this month. It's cut off here, darn it. Oh, uh, Nancy Pelosi. In the Atlantic piece, which is printed with the headline, The Case for Impeachment, Applebaum writes that Trump has repeatedly trampled on our Constitution. How? I'd like to know how. With his policies, approaches to the investigations that surround his administration and attacks on political opponents, attacks on political opponents, approaches to investigations, these actions are in sum an attack on the very foundations of America's constitutional democracy, he writes. You see how weak these arguments are? With a newly seated Democratic majority, the House of Representatives can no longer dodge its constitutional duty. It must immediately open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Trump and bring the debate out of the court of public opinion and into Congress where it belongs. And this gets headlines. This is linked on the Drudge Report. This is written about in the Hill newspaper. This gets headlines. It's incredible. Impeachment for what? What did he violate? 
And there's another story I saw. Let's hope I printed it out. I'm not sure I did here. Yeah, here. This one's getting a lot of attention. Also on the Drudge Report. Wall Street Journal. Cohen hired IT firm to rig early CNBC Drudge polls to favor Trump. So I read this article. And other than Cohen saying that he did this at the direction of Trump and his sole benefit. Something very interesting happened near the end of this. He did it again for a commercial entity. He did it again for a commercial entity. In other words, my question is, my question is, isn't that kind of coincidental? The same tack would be taken in Trump world and in this commercial entity? And we're supposed to take Cohen's word for it. But this is how journalism works today. Cohen, a confessed felon on multiple counts, makes an accusation. He'll do it in front of Congress. It gets a headline in the Wall Street Journal. It's linked to on drug. And there it is. Because Cohen says so. And, uh, and in this piece, he doesn't pay his taxes. He rips off another guy. But we got to believe him, you see, because he makes the accusation. It's the accusation that counts. And so I dismissed this. I read the whole thing. I got to the end. I saw, wait a minute, he did it again with another company. This suggests to me, if we're to believe at least some of these facts, that Cohen solicited money to do these things. What, Trump out of the blue asked Cohen to do something that Trump probably doesn't even know anything about? technically or otherwise, and then this company does the same thing and happens to ask Cohen to? Doesn't that sound a little suspicious to you, Mr. Producer? Well, why wouldn't it be suspicious to Michael Rothfeld, Rob Barry, and Joe Palazzo? And why link to it? Maybe it gets you hits. I don't know. But it seems rather strange to me that we're supposed to believe Cohen. Why? Now, that doesn't mean everything he says is a lie, but everything he says should be held in great suspicion and is not journalistically true. It's not true as a fact. And when you read the entire story and you get near the end and you find out he tried this again with a commercial client, that suggests to me, as a lawyer, as somebody who has had to examine litigation and cases and so forth, that suggests to me that it is Cohen who is the figure in both of these cases. And so you would have to believe that Trump told Cohen to do this, a developer who doesn't know a hell of a lot about polls. I don't. And this other company asked Cohen to do that. They just coincidentally happened to ask the same guy, Cohen, who's a lawyer, who apparently is known to be able to do this. Now, that's ridiculous. You know what else we know about Cohen? He solicited clients, which is typical of a lawyer, but he also solicited their money to do things which really was not involved in terms of being a lawyer, in terms of being a, a, a sleazeball. So I am uh, I'm quite surprised by some who link to this, because I don't think it's worth it, just because it shows up in the Wall Street Journal and just because somebody says it. And as to this Atlantic cover page, here's Jerry Nadler on CNN last night. CNN is, it's just constant. Cut 13, go. 
Is it possible that Barr could make the argument, well, the president can't be indicted, the sitting president can't be indicted, therefore the report should not be released because there's not going to be any indictment? Uh, and that was the criticism of Comey. That, that well, the criticism of Comey made sense because I had voiced that criticism that summer because he decided not to indict someone he could have indicted. And then he shouldn't pile on to that person. Uh, but if you take the position that, a, that as a matter of law, someone cannot be indicted, then the only substitute, uh, Congress may want to take action, uh, the only substitute for making a president uh, answerable to the American people and not above the law is to give Congress and the American people all the information so that the Congress can vote impeachment if that seems necess- advisable or something else. Uh, otherwise, if you're saying he cannot be indicted and therefore all the material must be held secret, then the president effectively is above any kind of uh, of justice and is above the law, and that's unacceptable but- in a democratic country. Hmm. He's guilty. And that apparently is acceptable among the Democrats without anything more. And the Atlantic. We'll be right back. Steve Raleigh, North Carolina, Sirius Satellite. Go right ahead, sir. You're on the air, sir. sir. Hi, Mark. Um, I wanted to comment. You mentioned uh, the the Hill reporting on the Atlantic uh, article. Mm -hmm. And I recall during the presidential election that the left-wing geniuses cried out that the right was creating echo chambers on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And it seems that now they've resorted to the, the, the echo chambers that they were so scared of on Facebook and social media. It's true, but you know, uh, this Atlantic piece, it's like the canary in the, in the coal mine, they say. This is just the first of what will be many, many uh, shoes to drop, these uh, thousand cuts. Uh, that's what's going to happen to this president. You remember when over 350 uh, newspaper editorials came out and attacked him for threatening freedom of the press? Although to this day, I'm not clear how he's threatened freedom of the press. He's He's been rhetorical. He's never actually done anything to the press. Uh, you're going to see that. You're going to see that it's just going to be start slowly after the Mueller report. Here we have a, this one, and there'll be others before the Mueller report, and it'll just start streaming out. It's going to be pretty painful. Oh, yeah, and he certainly hasn't wiretapped the AP like Obama did. Right, exactly. Is that it? Yeah. All right, That's- thank you, sir. Charlene, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great WPHT. Go. Um, Mark, actually, I'm from the Pittsburgh area. Well, it says Philadelphia, so where are you? What a, what a privilege it is to speak with you. A man of truth who seeks what is right and good is to be uh, admired, and one voice speaks for many. You are appreciated. Well, not Mark. according to Conrad Black. According to him, I am a liar. Well, according to the, the ones that are that are with the Lord. <laughs> Let me put it that way. All right. Yeah. Um, I was irritated. I wanted to call yesterday. I was irritated um, when I heard that the theatrical, childish stunt that Nancy Pelosi pulled off regarding mm-hmm. rescinding the invitation to our president, uh, regarding addressing the nation from the right. House. Right. Um, you mentioned it earlier, I know, but that was akin to um, a spoiled child throwing mm-hmm. a tantrum, in my opinion. Um, I, the this, House, this, this entire so-called resist movement... Uh, is is of that sort, as far as I'm concerned. So obvious. 
Mm-hmm. But the House, as you said, does not belong to Nancy Pelosi. It belongs to the people. Um, and with all due respect, Nancy Pelosi may have forgotten she's um, only Speaker of the House temporarily. But she does not speak for all the representatives, only some. And she certainly- Well, she controls it. I just want to remind people, whoever controls it, your point is, uh, that belongs to us. And the President of the United States has things he can do to uh, to deal with her, too, as, as if, including giving a State of the Union from the Senate, as far as I'm concerned. Well, does she have the, the ability to prevent him from speaking there? Yes, she her- control she she controls the House of Representatives. How else? I mean, that's the way that works. She's the speaker. But so what? If and that door speak- is closed, the Lord will open another door, a better door. Well, the Lord doesn't have to open another door. The Lord's probably a little busy about now. I think the president can open the door himself. Well, it seems, Mark, it seems obvious that the, I don't know what they're calling themselves, democratic socialists or what, but they seem to play down or ignore the, the really important critical matters, and they mm-hmm. spend a lot of time nitpicking on the meaningless and the minute. It's so true. It's so true. You've got China on the move. You've got Russia on the move. You've got all You're, you're so right how Mickey Mouse this really is. Thank you for your call, Charlene. I appreciate it. Donna, Frederick, Maryland, the great WMAL. Go. Hi, Mark. I consider what Nancy Pelosi did today a, a real slap in the face, especially to the furloughed employees. And I say that because the other day she said, with respect to the president and the wall, that it was immoral, expensive, and unwise. That's how I feel with what she's done to the federal employees. No sense of irony there. And I will say this, Mark. But let, I, let me slow you down, because this is an important point you raise. And they keep bringing up now, they want to use this word immoral. So in other words, if you disagree with them, and you have your position on the wall, you're immoral. What they're trying to say is really, and this is why I mock it, not that the wall is immoral, that those who support a wall, whatever the physical barrier, you're immoral. Because you support it. Yeah, it's insane. And and I gotta say this. We went through a layoff in my household when Obama got rid of NASA for how many years and mm-hmm. blew through savings and everything else to pay the mortgage. So I'm empathetic to people. However, the federal employees are much better off, as you mentioned earlier, than the private sector. And we pay dearly for that. And a lot of us remember, which is why Donald Trump got elected in the first place. And here's the other thing, Donna. There are very few people in this life who go through life without hitting some pretty heavy bumps, whatever it is. And uh, it could be a financial hardship. It could be a personal hardship, whatever it is. And uh, you feel for those people. But everybody goes through them. So if you're a federal employee... There's certain things you're going to go through. If you're in the private sector, there's certain things you're going to go through. What bothers me is all the talk about these 800,000 federal employees, and I don't even understand how it's 800,000, but let's say it's 800,000 federal employees. I don't know where that number comes from, but it's in the press and everybody repeats it. Fine. Let's stipulate 800,000. There are millions and millions of people in the private sector, and many of them, depending on the year, at some point in their life, they're struggling. Like you, many years ago, I became unemployed. I went through everything. We went through everything. 
I didn't take one cent from the government. I didn't go broke. We just cut way back until I could, you know, we could claw our way back. And this happens to every, I think it happens to most people. Look at the depression generation. What do you think the depression generation, many people who've been through the depression now, they're gone. Some are still with us. What do you think they'd be thinking of all this? Well, the federal workers, you know, they're out for a few months or whatever, even though they're going to get paid, even though their benefits will continue. What do you think they're thinking? It, I mean, it's, it's really, when you look at it in context, it's really, well, it's absurd. That's so true. And, you know, I want to say to Democrats, too, this party's going so far to the left. If I were in their shoes, I'd consider walking away. I don't see that they represent anything with respect to their constituents, unless they're radicals. And all right, my I friend. I that. appreciate it. Well, Conrad Black, I will tell you this. I'd be happy to present my sources to you. I know you love FDR. I never tied Ted Kennedy and his acts with Russia to John Kennedy or Robert Kennedy, so I have no idea what you're talking about. You also brush over the old man Kennedy and his conduct. You suggest that he was so worried about the communists that he, uh, he almost became a Nazi. He was very sympathetic to Hitler, and it wasn't because he was worried about the communists either. So, I'm happy to have this discussion. But I won't call you a liar, although maybe you are. But I don't think so. I think maybe we just look at history a little bit differently. I'll be right back. Levin Show is tomorrow's morning show. You can reach Mark now at 877-381-3811. Well, here we are, just getting started with the new year. We launched Blaze TV, bringing the biggest names in conservative commentary all under one roof for the first time ever, adding more hosts, more shows, giving you unlimited access to all of it with a single subscription to Blaze TV. Better with more voices, not fewer. Levin TV, well, I think you'll agree it's been an amazing program. We've created a massive network of like-minded conservatives, but people with different approaches, different attitudes, all entertaining, all compelling. There's nothing else like this out there, and we're only getting bigger. This is the next step in this new revolution of media, and I hope you'll join us for it. Go to levintv.com right now and sign up or call us at 844-LEVIN-TV. That's 844-LEVIN-TV. Many of you have your subscription renewals coming up in January, February, and March in particular. I hope you'll renew. Don't forget, we want you to stay with us as we continue to grow. And those of you listening who haven't signed up yet, well, I hope you'll give us a shot. 844-LEVIN-TV, 844-LEVIN-TV. I think you'll find this far more satisfying than most of what you're hearing and seeing, quite frankly. Now, I talked about my buddy Sebastian Gorka. He was at the White House today with a number of talk radio folks, minding his own business, sitting in his chair, in his assigned seat. And uh, Jim Acosta came up to him. Sebastian, Sebastian Gorka, how are you, my friend? All the better for being on the Great One Show, and congratulations on your TV program and especially your Fox specials, Mark. Well, thank you, and you are terrific. You're just a tremendous patriot, and that's why they hate you. So <laughs> there you are sitting in the White House, 
Tell me what happens. No cuss words, though. Tell me what happens. So I'm minding my own business right at the entrance of the White House briefing room on the inside with my good friends, Mike Gallagher and David Webb. And suddenly the door opens and in prances Jim Acosta, who I don't know. I know who he is, but we've never met. We've never broken bread before. He grabs him by the arm and says, you shouldn't be here. This place is for real journalists in front of everybody, in front of Mike Gallagher, in front of David Webb, in front of everybody who's in the press briefing room. Um, I'm kind of flummoxed. He walks past me and then loudly in front of everybody, because I guess that's my style. I said, Jim, that's why you are a whatever, whatever, bleep, whatever. And the joy. Now, of now, now, let's stop one second. Stop right there. Yeah. Don't forget where you are. Yes. People need to understand you were invited to the White House, as were many radio talk show folks to hear from the president and others. And Acosta walks into this room and essentially accosts you. Yes, yes, in front of everybody, uh, because he is a real journalist, Mark. That's, that's why he did it. You know, this is a problem we really have. You know, we all talk about it, but it really is a problem we have. When CNN assigns this guy to be the White House correspondent, the senior White House correspondent, he's such, he has such a dripping hate for this president Everyone around this president, anybody who defends or speaks up for this president. And when you have that kind of animus, you can't be a newsman, and he shouldn't even be there. I, I heartily agree. I, I, somebody suggested that the day he behaved the way he did with that White House intern, the president should have ordered the nearest Secret Service agent not just to take his badge, but to cut it up in front of him and mm. make sure he never sets foot on the north lawn of the white house yeah but then he runs to federal court and all these news organizations back him like this is some great uh first amendment moment right nobody nobody has a first amendment right to be in the white house press briefing room nobody not you not me that is a privilege this man seems to think that the white house briefing room is the jim acosta show and i know because i spoke to people there he is hated by his colleagues his grandstanding, his arrogance. He actually believes that he's a journalist, Mark. That is the saddest thing. But hey, look, nobody watches CNN. CNN's viewership is less than 600,000 people a night. That is less than half a percent of the population. And every time he does what he does, as he did, did today, it is an indictment of what used to be a proud news organization. But here's the thing. The guy is fundamentally a coward. I've invited yeah. him on my oh. radio show over Mark. and over and over again. I'd like to go toe-to-toe with him, but he won't come on. Mark, can I just tell you, this, this is the, the most delicious part of the whole thing. I was standing right by the entrance to the And by the way, meeting. folks, he's a big guy. Seb's <laughs> a big guy. Go ahead. Yeah, 6'4". Six, six, and he, uh, he ran to the back of the, the press briefing room and refused to come out because we were delayed meeting the president, and for the next 40 minutes... Little Abilio Jim Acosta was hiding in the back of the press briefing room. That's who you are, Abilio. And he wouldn't come out because of all the no. conservative radio guys. And you. Right. No. Being, the, he, being a he, big he, guy. He overstepped the mark. He overstepped the mark. Mm-hmm. But he's a disruptor. He's part of the disruptors. He's a uh, resistance guy dressed up as a journalist. And I'm just saying, this is fundamentally the problem. I think journalism is at its lowest point Ever. Mark, can you imagine 
any other president being accosted on the South Lawn as he's mm. getting into Marine One, and you have Christine Welker actually ask him on camera, are you a Russian agent? Yeah, jeez. Beggars believe. If my, my parents lived under fascism and were persecuted under communism, my father was tortured by the secret police in Budapest. If I truly believed that the president of the greatest nation on earth was a foreign agent, I wouldn't be prancing around the press briefing room. I'd be doing something about it as a patriot. These people are frauds and they are cowards. And the last thing is, they are not journalists. Let me ask you a question while I have, and you brought up your parents about Franklin Roosevelt at Yalta. Yes. Was that a great success of Western nations, of freedom, of the United States, Yalta? Or did it wind up setting the stage for these captive nation nations like the nation your parents lived in, Hungary? My father was 15 years old. He had lived through the, the fascist occupation of his country. He was a patriot. And when he heard in the newsreels that the great men had sat down at Yalta at 15, he had hope because they promised democracy for his nation and all the captive nations. What happened? The fascists were replaced with the communists. He resisted. I've written it down in my book, Why We Fight. There's a whole chapter on my father. He was betrayed by Kim Philby tortured at the age of 20 and given a life sentence, two years in solitary, two years down a prison coal mine. That's what Yalta gave us. And it was only through the good graces of the freedom fighters of 1956 that he escaped across a minefield, literally, with a 17-year-old daughter of a fellow political prisoner to safety in Austria as real refugees, not as refugees who throw bottles and rocks at the people who they wished to have them protect them. So, Mark, you're absolutely right. It was a betrayal of what Judeo-Christian civilization stands for, and the day, November the 9th, 1989, was a glorious day for all freedom-loving people. And, and Sebastian war. Gorka, are we to believe that Alger Hiss had no influence on Franklin Roosevelt respecting Yalta when he was a spy, providing information he, to the Soviets? He was the highest-ranking Soviet agent at Yalta. We now know this. Uh, Whitaker Chambers, I write about him in, in Why We Fight. Whitaker Chambers unmasked this man who only went to prison for perjury. Algeris didn't go to prison for being a Soviet agent. And long after Chambers died, when we had the Venona decrypts of Soviet intelligence traffic, we now have the confirmation Algeris was a traitor and he was working at the right hand of the American president. Now, I'm being called a liar for pointing these matters out because oh. FDR really was very sharp, even though he was dying. He, uh, he, it's, he, he never really trusted Stalin. He was very sharp-minded about Stalin. And actually, he was not sharp-minded about Stalin. In fact, a number of people said he was too believing of Stalin. What's your take on that? No, I completely, I completely concur that the record is clear. It, only, it was only at the point of the Berlin airlift that the uh, elements of the American elite finally understand that Uncle Joe isn't our uncle, that this man who had managed to kill at least 8 million people in Ukraine by starving them, he was the master of the gulag. So, yes, we, we were the, the elites, the, the American presidents were in the thrall of Uncle Joe, and that only changed when they tried to take Berlin and our sector away from us. So it was only George Kennan 
the long telegram, the Mr. X article in 1948 that finally led us to understand the evil that was the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend. Uh, if you ever need protection against Acosta, well, let me know. <laughs> I, know you, I know you believe in your Second Amendment rights. God bless you. No, no, no. All right, thank God you. you. Uh, that was a joke, by the way. For all the libs out there, that's called a joke. We bumped into each other at a uh, gun show. That's his point. Now, Jim Acosta is a... Uh, actually, he's illustrative of the modern media. And it is the media that's destroying freedom of the press. Nobody else. It is they. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Every time you go online or use public Wi-Fi, you're putting your personal information in danger. Unless you take precautions, a hacker can grab your passwords or credit card information in seconds. These hacks happen millions of times a day, and the victims have their personal information exposed or identity stolen. So how can you protect yourself? Well, the software we use is called ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN. Now, it makes it super easy for anyone to stay secure online. ExpressVPN hides your IP address and encrypts all your data online. That means nobody, nobody can see what you do on the Internet not even government spy agencies like the NSA. You keep your private stuff private. The ExpressVPN app takes 90 seconds for me to set up. So it'll take you even less. And you can set it up on your computer or your phone. And then you click a button and poof, you're protected. So if you want to protect yourself from hackers and spies, visit expressvpn.com mark. That's expressvpn.com mark. And you'll get... Special offer, three months free with a one-year package. So I would jump in now, protect yourself, keep your information private and confidential. That's expressvpn.com slash mark for three months free with a one-year package. Don't risk your online data any longer. Spy agencies, foreign governments, hackers. Visit expressvpn.com slash mark today. All right. Let's take, we had some great callers earlier. Let me see who's out there right now. Hold on. i got to pull it up here. All right. Let us go to Seth Vayetville, North Carolina, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, sir? Good evening. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. So uh, I heard you earlier with Mr. Solomon, and him and uh, Sarah Carter have done some phenomenal recording. And they are both um, tremendous. I agree with you. Absolutely. Um, I've actually worked in intelligence for the better part of two decades. I've been kind of uh, underwhelmed in terms of the importance that the media has placed on what they've discovered, mainly as it relates to the future of national security. Um, The rights of specific high-ranking individuals have obviously been violated throughout this process. But what the biggest piece in my mind is the importance of the FISA laws in continuing to provide national security, especially as the battlefield develops in the 21st century with new technologies and new adversaries, both peer and uh, asymmetric across the world, really. Um, We've seen that with the rise of ISIS and Mm -hmm. really the downfall of ISIS now, thanks to President Trump. But the fact that a lot of emphasis has not been placed on what was done during that time and that these abuses 
similar to what happened uh, prior to the Kennedy assassination uh, and after the Church and Pike Commission's restricted intelligence capability when we did have actual clear threats to our national sovereignty. So, so bring this security. home for me. Your point? Um, I think that we, as a whole, need to understand that it's not about the necessarily about the individuals, but that the abuse of power, mm-hmm. the restrictions that happened previously, possibly fed into the intelligence lapses prior to 9-11. All right, my and, friend. Those are good points. Those are very good points. I appreciate your service, too. Now, I want to remind you, folks, we have a podcast after this show's over. You can take it anywhere. So let's say you missed a couple hours, you caught 20 minutes or something like that. Or let's say you just don't have time to listen when we're on radio. You can listen to the podcast. Or I say something, you say, I don't believe he said that. Or I don't believe what he said. Or that's absolutely brilliant. Or that guy's full of it. You can go back and listen. So I want to strongly encourage all you Levinites to download our app. Download so you can hear our podcast. Doesn't mean you have to play it, but it means you can. And I'm going to give you a couple ways to do it. We're working on a page that I can send you to that gives you all the options. You can go to marklevinshow.com. That is the best way. That is our official show website. It's a great website if you've never been there. And we have up-to-date news there as well. MarkLevinShow.com. You can download right from there. It's absolutely free. I don't charge you one penny. You can go to Apple iTunes and type in Mark Levin Show, and you'll find us there, Apple iTunes. And Google Music. You can find us at Google Music. Again, put in Mark Levin Show. And what Google Music does is it'll pop up uh, when the show comes on or or, or when it's available on a podcast, that is. And so you'll be reminded. These are just three ways. There's other ways, too. But as I say, we're constructing a page uh, where we can send you and link to it. But I would encourage you to do this now uh, just so you have it uh, because I think it is a very – here's the thing. We don't charge you for this. There are all kinds of podcasts going on right now where people charge you to listen. I don't charge – you want to listen to me on on radio, AM, FM radio? You want to listen to us on – on, uh, on, on, on the Internet, you want to listen to me on the Mark Levin app, iHeartRadio app, go for it. We don't have paywalls or anything else for that. So no fee, no charge, no subscription, absolutely free, the Mark Levin podcast. Again, marklevinshow.com, you can get it there. Apple iTunes, you can get it there. Google Music, you can get it there. So you can say, well, I, I missed a show, or it's tape delayed, or it's preempted. You can listen to it whenever you want. Modern technology is truly amazing. It's truly amazing. Barry, Austin, Texas. How are you, sir? Hi, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. Yes. If we could clone a hundred of you, we might have enough to hold off the creeping socialism (laughs) or the socialist creeps, however you want to look at it. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You go ahead. Well, I think there's more than 100 of me. I don't mean me DNA-wise. There's more than 100. There's guys like you. There's gals like Donna who calls in here from time to time. I think there are millions of us. Well, I and know I th- one of yeah. you is not going to be enough. But listen, yeah. let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. Did, did young American boys die in the snow on the side of a mountain in Korea? 
called the Chosin Reservoir, mm-hmm. holding off the Chinese communist horde for more than a month so that we could evolve into socialism in this country? Did they do that? You know, I could point to battle after battle after battle, Cold War, hot war. You're exactly right. Just remember, we've talked about it, and I've written it about it, and ha- as have others. Uh, you know, Jefferson and Joseph Story and Lincoln and others have said, if we're going to be defeated, we're going to be defeated from within. And we do have a fifth column in this country. It's the hard left, the radical progressives. And you see their faces and you hear their voices right now. Thank you for your call, my friend. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, federal law enforcement. We thank you, local, state, you too. And we will see you right here tomorrow. God bless.